What's up, guys? It's Matt. On this week's edition of the TKW Podcast, I first chat with Kyle Maggio about the latest in Knicksland. We talk about the assistant coaches that are being brought aboard. Then we talk about some more draft stuff, just kind of give some thoughts. And then we shift into a Trey Young discussion featuring Nick Scalero, TKW staff writer, and Seth Olivares from Crimson Cream Machine, which is SB Nation's uh, Oklahoma affiliate. So we have some good discussion on Young. We got Seth's take from watching him all year. And then we get Nick's take, who, of course, wrote a piece for us this week. So check that out on the thenickswall.com. So without further ado, let's go. Hello, folks, and welcome to the TKW Podcast. I'm Matt Spendley, and I'm joined by Kyle Maggio. What's going on, guys? So, Kyle... Enjoying his veggie sticks. We just had a stimulating conversation about why veggie sticks are low-key good. Uh, actually good. Actually good. Do you go for the... Don't they have, like, multiple flavors? Do you go for the assorted ones? Um, I go for the assorted, and I'm a big sea salt proponent. Oh, no, it's, it's all about light. the sea salt. The sea salt's where uh, it's at. Yes, I like to keep it light and simple. So don't start getting into flavoring. It's not going to get any better for you. These are high-end snacks. Just, you got to keep it very... Simplistic with veggie sticks for them to be good. Oh, man, I agree. All right, so latest in Knicks world, we've had the draft combine since we last spoke. We've had some assistant coaches getting rumored to be coming here. So from Keith Smart, Jed Bushler, and Royal Ivy, it looks like the Knicks are kind of finalizing this coaching staff around Fisdale. And I'm thinking they kind of want to have a sense of what they expect before they really start to dive in and get hard into this draft coverage. So, Because I, I think Fizda wants to have some guys around him that he trusts and that he can talk to and that Mills and Perry can have an open kind of communication with about this stuff. What do you think? No, I, I agree. I, I think the onus is to get it done before the draft, for sure. Um, it looks like the urgency is there. We've heard a lot of names in the last two weeks. So um, it, I don't know if they... I want to say that they're shuffling through names, but it's apparent that they're just pulling out all the stops to kind of iron this out quickly so that, like you said, they can be on the same page. A bunch of people he trusts for the draft. Yeah, and there's been conflicting reports at this point as far as the draft is concerned because you see a lot of the Knicks aren't considering a guard, but then you see a lot of mock drafts that have them taking Sexton, most notably ESPNs. Which, I still don't understand that. It's a little strange. It just feels like, and I know when Gavoni does those, I'm pretty sure, especially now, he's doing this with fit in mind. And you'll see when you read the articles, he mentions that the Knicks view Frank DiLacchina as someone that's more of an off-ball guard and that they have a priority for someone like Sexton. You don't get the feeling for those of us that are following the Knicks every day, you really don't get the feeling that that's what they're looking for. It, they're looking for a wing. Yeah, yeah. this is kind of one of those times that you can tell who – pays attention to him and, and who doesn't. And not, not to, you know, at all try to make it as though I'm shitting on Giovanni, but... Um, Gavoni. Is it Gavoni? Yeah. I thought it was... Anyway. <laughs> See, this is... This is See, before I'm here before the shows, I'm going to give you a, a list of names <laughs> that, that may come up during the show, and I'm going to read them out loud, <laughs> judgment-free, and then you have to correct me 
on any of the ones because this happens every episode like clock. If we go live during the draft, then I'm 100% going to make sure we do that before, just in case. <laughs> Can you say oh. Doncic? Doncic, yes. There you go. All right, you got that one. That, 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 one, that one I knew. That one surprisingly, <laughs> because when I was reading that one uh, to myself, it, obviously a lot of people think it could be Doncic or yeah. Doncic. But I saw the uh, the accents and I was like, there's positively no way that uh, <laughs> that's the way that I think it is. So it's probably the alternative. I feel so. like last year it was Neil Aquina, and then we also had Markinen. That if I remember, you had problems pronouncing. Uh, I might just be. I don't. I don't remember exactly. Yes. Enough. Yes. And um, Chase and Randall. Yeah. Who, due to due to the spelling, I thought it was more elegant. I thought it was Chasan. And uh, <laughs> after like four episodes, someone's like, "No." So someone was just like, "It's it's, it's Jason, but with a ch." I was like, "God, oh, Jesus Christ!" So, um, but yeah. Anyway, um, I don't. I, they do good work there with Draft Express. I, I I understand the whole. There's been a lot of uh, talks about ESPN basically bought them to cannibalize them and just get them off the market. But overall, those are smart guys. They know what they're talking about. I don't get what they're talking about here because, and we've discussed this privately. We don't think, at least you and I, and I want to speak for the whole group. We don't believe that they'd be looking into a guard, and if they did, that they'd be looking into a guard who is kind of a smaller slightly better ball handling Frank Nielakina. Like, he has sort of the same traits that is. I don't know if it makes sense on any level. Like, I probably won't say, um, you know, the other prospect later on, but I felt like if it would make sense after reaching on a defensive stalwart last year, to take an offensive stalwart this year. And if you were going to reach on a guard, maybe a Trey Young would make sense, although I'm not wildly high on him. That would make sense more than this Sexton. But I don't – what are your thoughts on Sexton and his, and his fit in New York? Because I personally don't see it. I have massive concerns just because of how long it takes for a guard to become good in the NBA. That's basically what it comes down to. We're going to watch Frank grow the next three to four years. And even in three years – so this year, next year, the year after, he's still not going to be the player that we hope he can be at that point. He's still going to have room to grow. And I worry that if you pair these two just young guys that are going to need the ball to be able to progress, that are going to have to learn how to run an offense a bit, and they're also both guys that aren't great shooters. And that's why Young makes a lot more sense as a fit next to Nilakina. And if the Knicks are serious about how committed they are to him, then Trey Young absolutely 100% makes more sense. I would bet a lot of money that Young is not available if, let me put it this way, there's a much higher chance that Sexton's available than Young is available. Because I, I could see teams before the Knicks taking Young. I do not know if I could see teams before the Knicks taking Sexton unless they really fell in love with him. And that's the Orlando's, maybe Cleveland, if they really fell in love with him. You never know what they're going to do. But Sexton makes me wary. I've warmed up to the idea of Trey Young, and we'll be dropping a video of him with me just talking about what I think in the in the upcoming days. But the Sexton Nilakina backcourt, I don't know if they'll be able to grow together like a young Nilakina backcourt could, and it just makes me it, it just frankly just makes me apprehensive. Yeah, I, I feel like that's exactly a lot of things would have to go right for that kind of a backcourt to work together when um, the skill sets don't necessarily complement each other before that. You know, normally it makes sense. Like the way we we're just talking about the Trey Young thing, like whether or not he pans that in the NBA, there's some logic there to say, well, we need somebody who could really shoot from range 
somebody who's a bit of a playmaker, a better ball handler, to go next to Frank Nielakino, who kind of struggles with his shot right now, who kind of struggles with his ball handling right now. If, if you were going to pair them, those make sense. But the Sexton thing, and again, any anything can happen in the draft. Everybody's wrong almost 100% of the time. But it, it just doesn't, like, this is, is to me like an obvious thing that doesn't make sense. But um, anyway, if you wanted to try to catch up on some of these assistant coaches that have been rumored. Yeah, do you have anything you want to point out about them? Um, do you have anything specific? The well, the, the Keith Smart thing, um, I, I think that made some sense, but... Yeah, because he's, he's a Fizdo guy. Like, he's worked with him before. He'll be his top assistant. Yeah, and I like that. But um, Royal Ivy, I saw today, and that... I, mean, I don't know if that was, like, uh, overly surprising to me, but it, it, it was kind of like... Whenever I see a player hop on as an assistant, I'm always, like... Whether I should be or not, I'm always, like, a little bit surprised. Yeah. Well, he's um, been he's I think he's been an assistant for a couple years yes. with Oklahoma City's yes. uh, G League team, and then he's been with the Thunder. I think it was two years and two years with G League and then NBA team, yeah. I believe. So he has some experience under his belt. I, I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I kind of just like, and I, I try not to get too caught up in it, but I really do like what they're doing for sort of front office and coaching personnel. I, I just feel like. They're following through on a lot of things that they wanted to follow through on. They said publicly in press conferences when normally they're full of shit in those. Not just the Knicks, but like a lot of executives are. And I feel like they're doing a lot of things that make sense. Uh, the way a lot of people speak about these guys is that they're more developmental coaches. Right. Not that's just, been a big point. That's been a big point right. throughout this that people are saying these are more player development guys. Yeah, and, and that was the one thing I wanted to talk about because what are the Knicks notoriously bad at? Player development. Player development. And it just seems like, and again, always cautiously optimistic because things can go terribly awry in like three months with James Dolan running uh, the show here. But they're doing all the things that would make sense. Like they're they're letting Perry sort of identify the weaknesses and fix them or try to fix them, get the right people in there to try and fix them. And that's what these assistant coaching hires look like to me. I thought they got the right guy in Fisdale and now they're getting the right coaches. And a lot of these guys are raw or need some reshaping. You know, like, Dotson is a little bit raw. You know, a lot of us believe in him. I know you're a big Dotson guy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, getting more developmental coaches in here is a good idea. Frankie is incredibly raw, incredibly young. Getting a bunch of developmental coaches in here is a great idea. So for this roster, which is largely going to be an experimental season, a lot of young guys who are just going to be looking to earn playing time, learn to, you know, try to earn their spots – uh, with KP out, I think that's just exactly the right kind of coaching that you want around them. 100%. And even, it extends beyond their draft picks, too. Because then you're looking at Trey Burke, Emmanuel Moutier, Troy mm-hmm. Williams. These are more guys that could benefit from being harbored in such a, a strong environment that can really maybe teach them something. Because we see signs from these guys. It's just a matter of if they pan out. Which, in all likelihood, we know Moutier is probably bad. We know Trey Burke is maybe going to top out as a six-man scorer. We know Troy Williams probably is always going to struggle to shoot, but it's it's always the glimpse of these guys that you hope for, and you got to put them in the best situation to succeed. And it seems like the Knicks exactly. are making their best effort to do that, which is all we could ask for at this stage. If it doesn't work out, I think we've said it multiple times here, if this ends up not working out, we can't say, oh, God, this was just terrible. They made bad decisions. They're making, they're going down the right path. It's just well, a matter exactly of if it works it. out or not. 
it's exactly it. Because we've seen them make terrible decisions and then it goes to shit. And right. then nobody's surprised and we're all angry because we all saw it coming. If you're making good decisions and then it just doesn't work out, then that's just what happens in professional sports sometimes. Sometimes it just isn't going to go your way, even though you did everything correctly. So right. I agree 100% on that. All right. Last thing before we bring Seth and Nick on to talk about Trey Young. I have a question in through the lens of the playoffs. So there's been... We know how good the Celtics defense is. And the thing that makes them so good is they have a lot of switchable perimeter guys that can really defend in a variety of ways. So, you know, they can start Marcus Smart and then throw him on Tristan Thompson and have him play in the post. They can have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown on the perimeter and then have them switch on to guards if they have to. They have Al Horford, obviously, who's one of the best defensive players in the league. You see a lot of these kind of switchable, heavy defenses still left in the playoffs. Do you subscribe to this theory that those are the kind of guys you should target? And if so... Does that change, and is that has that shaped how you viewed who the Knicks should draft? I, I do subscribe to it. I do believe. It. I feel like you have to have guys that are going to be able to, you know, change and switch and defend multiple positions. I, I honestly believe that, but I don't know that it, it affects the Knicks in this draft per se. Because yeah. if that was the case, you know, I think we hear a little bit more about a guy like maybe Wendell Carter. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Um, just from the things that I've looked at and read about with Some him, people I, compare him to Horford. Like, that's... People say that that's, like, his absolute ceiling. Like, if he's a really successful pro, he's Al Horford, which I can vouch for because I like his game, and you can see shades of that in college. Yeah, no, I, and I like him. But it's like... Just, like, to me, that, that would be the guy, to answer your question, like, that'd be the guy that you would want to target if that was 100% the case, if you knew that that was what you had to do. But I, I'm almost at the point where it's like... I don't know if that's best player available for this Knicks team. And, and I don't know if that necessarily is going to complement KP if we're assuming full health when he returns to some degree. So I don't know that it should change their game plan per se. Um, I still think that they should go with sort of a versatile wing, like maybe one of the bridges. But um, I, I believe I believe would. In that notion, I just don't believe it should change their plans for this upcoming draft. I've read some really good pieces on Mikhail Bridges that have knocked, knocked him down a bit as a prospect that have made me think. I still feel strongly about him, but I could be talked into feeling stronger about Miles. Uh, I was and, just going to follow you, follow up with that. So yeah, good. well, it just... I, this guy, um, I think his name is Jackson Hoy, he's been doing some really good work over at the Stepien, and he wrote some pieces about wing guys, and he talked about how Mikhail Bridges is often compared to Otto Porter and Robert Covington, but that he didn't have the skills that they had when they were in college, and he didn't have the size that they have and that they've put on. And he, of course, acknowledges that, hey, listen, this could happen, but a lot of the things that those guys did in college, Bridges didn't do. And it's uh, it's just a little sobering, and I think it's important to read all different kinds of angles, and that's why I was really curious to read and, again, commend him because he's done some great work. Miles, the thing that made me the most nervous was in college, I just hated his shot selection, but a lot of it was a product of Tom Izzo. I think Tom Izzo just did a really bad job coaching that team, and he put Miles and Jaron Jackson in bad positions because he was playing them next to big guys like Ward and Schilling, and it just wasn't the best spot for them to succeed. So when I watch these series, like I can see either Bridges playing in them. When you're watching in the conference finals, I'm like, yeah, I could see either of those guys playing 30 minutes in this series. 
Oh, no, I was going to say, since watching, they are not at all the same prospects. I just want to get that out of the way right, before you can open up. I can sort after watching the way Jason Tatum sort of been unleashed. I mean, it's an entirely different coaching system too. Having Brad Stevens as your coach is a huge help, obviously. Yes. Like seeing a guy who can sort of get out there, and just kind of get whatever shot he wants. Um, I can see how that would be effective. So to answer like the Miles Bridges um, shot selection dilemma. Yeah. That's sort of what, like if you have a smart, capable coach, and I think almost every smart, knowledgeable NBA person would agree at this moment that Fizdale is a good NBA coach. Um, I feel like maybe he could get the most out of a guy like Miles Bridges and probably could clean up some of that shot selection, get him to, you know, he can still take those shots, but just be smarter about it. Right. It's going to be a heated debate going into the draft and we got about a month left to talk about which one is better and which one we prefer. I think it's close and I, I think that there's a higher chance Miles is there because I think one of those higher teams could talk themselves into Mikhail for his intangibles and the things that he could bring. Most notably him winning the championship, I think probably vaulted him up a spot or two. Yes, and he's won two. Let's let's not forget. He also played a role on the Nova team that won a championship with the game winner from Jenkins a couple years ago. So he's won two national championships in college, which of course has helped vault his stock. But he also contributed a bunch to those teams. So Right. Alright, so let's transition. Let's talk about Trey Young. Let's call Nick and Seth and uh, talk this one out. Okay. Alright, we're back. So we got Seth and Nick here. Seth from Crimson and Cream Machine, SB Nation, Oklahoma. Seth, how we doing, man? How you doing real well, actually, uh, Thanks for having me on. Of course. And Nick, of course. Nick Scalera, staff writer. How we doing, Nick? I'm good. Good. Hanging in there. So Nick just wrote a piece for the Nickswall.com, great website, about Trey Young and his potential fit with the Knicks should he be around. And Seth covers Oklahoma, so he got a, a close-up look of, of Young all year. So, Seth, I guess let's just start out by saying how surprising was the Trey Young experience? Because I know he had been... Uh, McDonald's All-American and everything like he played in that game but how surprising was it to all of a sudden have him just come out of the woodwork like that and be a national sensation man I'll tell you what um it was it was a big deal and you know an interesting thing uh, I think something that kind of doesn't get talked about enough so about 10 days after uh, Baker Mayfield won the Heisman <clears throat> for you know Oklahoma uh that's when Trey Young had his uh 26 and 22 game where he tied the NCAA, the, the division one record for most assists in a game. And that was kind of like really his coming out party where he, he just kind of took the college basketball world by storm. And obviously everybody in Oklahoma was already frenzied up with football. And then they like, Oh, we got, you know, we got somebody to pay attention to on, in the basketball world. So, I mean, it was, it was wild. I mean, I don't, I, I didn't go a morning without hearing about it. Cause I do like the, morning like links for yep. my blog yep. and so it was just like every day was like articles after articles just all over the place and i mean we even had i think migos was in was around and i saw a picture of trey young with migos and, oh yeah i mean it's it was a big deal and that's how you know he's made it right there <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah it must have been a whirlwind go from baker mayfield to trey young like what a year man it was wild what a fall yeah yeah so I think one thing that sticks out about Young is kind of his uh, struggles as the year went on. So he started out really hot, and then kind of as we started to get down, obviously Oklahoma was a top-ten team, 
and they started losing a ton, and then it was very controversial when they made the tournament. What do you think contributed to some of his struggles down the stretch? Man, I mean, there's so many things, and I don't want to give, like, some weird cop-out answer that's like, you know, a combination of this and that and this and that, but it was. uh, But really, uh, it kind of started just a couple games into the Big 12 play. Uh, Yeah, just in the Big 12, top to bottom, was, you know, definitely one of the toughest conferences in the the nation. So I think that part of that, you know, he's just playing better teams instead of all those non-con teams that he played. Um, I mean, he played some good non-cons in Wichita State, uh, I think Northwestern, uh, yeah, Northwestern, they're, you know, they're decent. They're not, you know, uh, like Maine or somebody. But, uh, yeah, just, you know, the, the you know, there's good coaching in Big 12, and they figured them out. They, you know, if you do- throw a double team at them, um, he didn't make always the be- uh, always make the best decisions. Um, and um, part of that was just him being like an 18, 19-year-old. And, yeah, it, it kind of wore on him. And then he, there really wasn't ever anybody – he could kind of rely on, you know, teammate-wise yep. all year. Um, and it just was magnified in, uh, once the, the competition stepped up. And that was a huge problem. And I think a big reason why they started to struggle was that he just had no one else to rely on. And it was the thing people talked about a lot with him, is that all of a sudden you saw his stats suffering, but it was because he was taking some of the same shots, but his teammates weren't picking him up. And I think that the most exciting thing about Young and watching his highlights is that even with all the assists he was having, a lot of missed layups. Like, there's a lot less, like, you know, got McGusty missing some Latin. It just felt like yeah. there was just a huge void next to him. And it felt like if Oklahoma had that other guy next to him, it would have taken some pressure off him. And maybe he could have kept that stretch going, kept that efficiency up, and really started to, to alleviate some of the woes that kind of came around. Exactly, exactly. All right, Nick, so what do you think about Young as a prospect? Kind of, we got, got a little background from Seth about what he'd seen from him through the year. So from an outside perspective, what can you uh, tell us about Young? I mean, yeah, I like his game a lot. Like, definitely he has a, a significant amount of flaws. But that are a little bit concerning for, you know, a team that's trying to make him the next, you know, leader of the backcourt. But, I mean, he can shoot, which is like a huge, almost a requirement in today's NBA. You know, that's he's an elite shooter. Um, which is an excellent and required quality in today's basketball. Um, he's a great passer as well. You know, kind of, I always refer to him as like the Steph Curry light. Um, obviously, comparing those two now is, is a little bit ridiculous. But, you know, I like I like his offensive game. Um, defensively, you know, he has a lot of work to do. He's, he's you know, he, he seems like to take plays off. You know, he's not big, not, not very thick and, and physical. You know, he can get beaten by a lot of bigger guards. Um, which is concerning, but I, I'm sure, like, if he works, you know, his ass off, he can become a, a great um, defender. I mean, not great. I mean, a de- halfway decent defender, you know, be be a viable defensive force for the Knicks. Yep. Um, I like I like his game. Like, he definitely – he's definitely surprised me. Like, I didn't think he was going to be this good. Um, and obviously with the Knicks picking ninth, like, he's he's very realistic option to come there. Yeah, we were talking a little bit before you guys hopped on about – what the chances are he actually falls to nine. And I think that a lot of the teams ahead could talk themselves into him. It seems like a a pretty likely possibility. You know, you could see a team like Orlando or Cleveland talking themselves into a guy like Young. It it could certainly happen. Um, Seth, let's go back to you for a second. I was curious. It almost felt like Trey Young started to struggle when that Trey Young tracker came up. Was that like a big thing? Because that annoyed the hell out of me. (laughs) 
you know, I'm a diehard Sooners fan, but yeah. it was just, it, it annoyed me because I knew that it was just, you know, it was just fodder for everybody that wasn't a Sooners fan. Just like, oh, this is so annoying. The media is just beating this to the ground. And it's like almost like they'd made him into this villain. People were rooting against him almost because, like, why are they hyping up this kid so much? And why do I have to see his stats 24 <laughs> 7? Yeah. Like, I mean, that's the ESPN effect right there. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. It's a machine. <laughs> so, yeah, it, I, I think it might have affected him, honestly. Like, I mean, I'm just, you know, thinking about myself at that age. And I think most people, like, you know, coming from, you know, growing up in Norman, like, that's not a big market at all. And then just staying here. But then his whole world just exploded. You know, it had to, it had to affect him. Yeah, well, Seth, I just want to ask you a quick question about how maybe his game is going to translate to the NBA because that's been my concern. I think his skill is there. I don't think you can kind of deny his vision, his playmaking, and his shooting ability. But as his as it pertains to translating to a much stronger, longer, faster, more athletic league, um, you mentioned he struggled a little bit with double teams and. You know, and Matt mentioned before, he struggled a little bit with finishing at the rim towards the end of the year. And I guess my main concern with him is, is he going to be athletic enough to survive up here? Is he going to be able to really, um, I guess, make that leap, make that adjustment? Because you look and the skills are enticing, but I think physically there's something left to be desired. So what do you think may or may not happen here? Um... I think I don't think we're gonna see him, you know, have like a a crazy rookie year. Um, almost no matter where he goes, um, I do think I think the the main part I think the key to him having uh, a respectable career, if not you know better, uh, he needs to work on 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 uh, his attacking the rim, you know, putting the putting the using his body uh, more because yeah, he doesn't have he doesn't have the height. Or uh, necessarily even like the the above the rim kind of game to necessarily just take over in that way. Um, and yeah, in the NBA, it's just going to get exponentially harder than it was in college with you know the type of athletes he's going to see. So it's like it's when in, in one way it's going to help because he's going to be surrounded by some of those athletes also. But then and he's also going to be facing them, so it, it'll be kind of like a wash. So I th- I don't think I don't think he's going to have like. You know, the Trey Young show is not going to continue in the NBA, at least not right away. It's going to be more of like a learning thing. And, and uh, I don't know if I'm like getting ahead of myself here, but like a guy I would uh, Mike Conley uh, with the Grizzlies, because I feel like Mike Conley could kind of teach him some of the aspects of being a point guard that he necessarily doesn't have right now or he needs to really work on because he's obviously got the scoring. But that kind of floor manager um, and kind of really using his team, uh, I think that's the kind of stuff he really needs to work on. Mm-hmm. Let's roll it back for a second and talk about something that Kyle and you kind of both alluded to, and then I'm going to throw it to Nick. One of the concerns that's become evident throughout the year and then moving toward the NBA is when he's around the rim, Seth mentioned it, he's not going to be throwing down dunks, getting to the rim and being able to finish. So it led him to struggle. He wasn't a great finisher at the rim. You know, he, he had a lot of spectacular finishers, but in terms of efficiency, he wasn't great. And you saw when he went to guys like gets guys like Mobamba early in the year, and he had some troubles against those guys. So yeah. So Nick, what do you think about that? <laughs> what do you think about Young's ability to finish at the rim at the next level? 
Yeah, I mean, you said it right. Like he's not, he's not. That's not one of his strengths. Like I like his, I like his ability to get to the rim. But once he, once he gets there, you know, he's going to have a lot of trouble. At least in the beginning of his career against bigger guys, um, shot blockers. You know, more physical guys. who are gonna, you're gonna, they're gonna throw him an elbow. You know, they're gonna, they're gonna intimidate him. Um, this is something like I think he can also work on as well. You know, being a little bit more crafty around the rim. Um, I don't think he's going to be able to get like too much bigger where he, he's going to like totally transform his body, but. Um, if he's listen, if he's knocking down threes, he's hitting mid-range jumpers. Um, you know, people will quickly forget that he really can't finish around the rim. Um, I think he'll be able to he'll be able to um, you know kind of mask that if he's able to you know consistently hit shots. You know, um, be efficient with the ball, uh, limit the turnovers. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I again in my my article that I wrote, like I Kyrie Irving, you know, six two, similar size to Young, but he's much more of a um, explosive athlete. You know, can finish at the rim. Um, so if Young can, you know, if Young can work on that and down, a couple of years down the road develop like that Kyrie finishing ability, I mean, you have yourself a really complete offensive player right there. Yeah, and that's a great point because Kyrie isn't a big guy either. You know, he's slight. He doesn't have much to him. But Kyrie <laughs> has been consistently one of the best finishers around the rim in the entire league. And that's a testament to the work that he's put in and the, his ability to spin the ball off the glass his ability to pull off angles that no one else can think of. And you see Young do that. Like, we've seen him do that during the year. He has it within him to be able to get there. I just yeah. don't know if it's something that he'll really be able to to master. And that's going to be a big part of him becoming either a successful prospect or maybe one that isn't quite as uh, – doesn't quite reach the heights that he, we think he might. Yeah, definitely. I think like failing fast is an important aspect for him. Cause, you know, if he comes burst onto the scene in the NBA and has like a, you know, a first uh, like otherworldly first half of the season, you know, and he, he he'll be humbled quickly by by guys like you know trying to trying to you know knock him over or or going after him on the def- on the defensive end, trying to block a shot, you know, giving the extra juice towards him. Um, I think like what well, if he has a you know struggles rookie season on against the rim going at the rim like I think that's a good thing for him because you know he'll learn quicker than rather have that inflated confidence and that you know that exposure and that hype that he got at Oklahoma which I think is the reason why he probably faded in the second half of the years because he got you know so much attention from defenses and so much publicity like kind of not to say it, you know it messed with his head it, it kind of like you know put a lot of pressure on him to to be to be a complete player when he really wasn't ready to 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 you know refine that aspect of his game because again he's only 19 so he needs he needs to, to me he needs to be humbled quickly and fail fast and then he it'll it'll help him develop a lot quicker than than just bursting onto the scene in my opinion yep okay so from one struggle to potentially the most glaring one is his defense i think that everyone has concerns about whether he'll ever be able to be anything more than an average defender at best. I think I've said on more than one occasion he might be the worst defender in the league next year when he comes in. And I don't think it's his fault. When you watch the Oklahoma games, you know, when you go through some of the film, he just gets caught ball watching sometimes. He gets in decent position, but he doesn't have enough, you know, muscle to be able to hold off bigger guys. You know, we saw Sexton kind of muscle him down in the paint a little bit when Alabama and Oklahoma matched up earlier this year. Seth, what did you see from his defense as a whole? And do you think that he has any sort of potential to be able to improve in that area? Oh, yeah, you said it. I mean, yeah, there was definitely uh, long stretches where he was just, he was, he was flat out a liability on defense. It was just, 
it's kind of like just five on four. Um, so as far as like how much like growth I can, I can see him making in that area of his game. I, I think he'll definitely improve. I think just as you know, as long as he's like, keep, he keeps getting his opportunities and he keeps working. I mean, he's a workaholic like a lot of these guys are uh, when it comes to his game, but yeah, I mean, he's. I, I also don't see him ever making a you know all defensive team. Yeah. But um, I don't know. It's I and earlier we were talking about a comparison to Steph Curry, and yeah, it's like people like want to say it, but then they don't. <laughs> and then yeah. But it's like if he can, I think, I think what will help is if he can kind of have a more complete offensive game. If, in a weird way, it's like almost like best defense for him is a good offense. Um, but. Uh, just, just purely on defense, I, I can see him getting better, but I'll, I'll be surprised if he gets a lot better. Yeah. Um, if I'm just gonna be completely objective, I'll, I'll be surprised. I'll be pleasantly surprised, but um, I do think he'll get a little better, but maybe not much. I just worry, and specifically for the Knicks, and I'll throw this back to to Nick. I worry about building a defense with a guy in there, and it's something the Warriors had to do for a while with Steph. But Steph has gotten much better and has progressed in that end to the point where he's no longer a liability, which Young will in all likelihood be, especially early in his career. A defense that gets brought up a lot by people is that the Knicks can feel okay drafting Trey Young because they have Frank Nielakina in the backcourt to cover up some of those issues and assign the more difficult guard to Nielakina. Nick, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I totally agree. Like, if you just mentioned Steph Curry and, and even, like, Kyrie Irving, you know, they're not their strengths are not on the defensive end, but they're surrounded by guys like, you know, Durant, elite defender, Thompson, elite defender, Jason Tatum, very good defender. You know, a lot of defenders around them kind of, like, mask their, their defensive deficiencies. But, yeah, they, they both of them have gotten better. And I think in, in Young's case with the Knicks, like, he's going to have to play some sort of defense because, you know, we've we've – endured you know decades of or a decade of terrible defense from on the perimeter and perimeter defense is you know so so important at this time at this uh era of basketball and yeah i mean having frank nilakina next to him is is going to help him a lot you know it's going to take some of the pressure off him but again like i don't think i don't think young will develop into a lockdown and all first team nba defender but you know he can he can improve in like the aspect of you know getting steals um, you know, he might still get bodied frequently, but, you know, having that having that two guard who who could potentially be an elite defender in Neil Aquino is something that could help Young out a lot. Because exactly. if you surround him with if you surround him with defend good competent defenders, you know, it kinda it doesn't really matter if he's if he's if he's elite on that end or, or good at that end because you know, but if you just have him on an island against guys, you know, he's gonna get torched. Well that's something me and Matt were talking about prior. Um we were talking about how Sexton is always linked to go to the Knicks at number nine uh, for the ESPN like mock drafts. And, um, you know, the rumor came out earlier this week about the Knicks have um, the hots for Trey Young. And I was like, you know, I, I don't think that they should go guard. I don't think that they will go guard. But in the event that they do, Sexton wouldn't make sense when, you know, if let's say Trey Young is there. You'd hopefully, if you, if you had to take a guard, you'd want to take the one that is sort of the, the yin to Frank Bielakina's yang. I mean, mm. Frankie kind of struggles dribbling. He kind of uh, struggles to shoot, but he's an excellent defender. And he's got he's big, big frame, a lot of length. And then you have a smaller uh, Trey Young there, and it's like, you know, he can shoot, he can play make, he's got the vision. It's like that's exactly who you want 
next to him. That's sort of what they try to do with Emmanuel Moutier, except Emmanuel Moutier is, in fact, bad at offense as well. So so if you were going to go guard, like, Trey Young would make a lot of sense if you really believe Frank to be the defensive player that, you know, we think he could be, like Nick was saying. But... I don't know. I mean, it's. I think it's grown on Matt as well. It's grown on me to take um, Trey Young, but um, mostly because of the you know potential of that combination uh, with him and Frank if they both pan out the way we would hope that they pan out. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And I think personally, in my opinion, I think there's a couple guys who I'd rather have over Trey Young. Same. You're right. Like I'd rather you know I'd rather have some maybe like a, like Michael Bridges, like a small forward. You know, someone who can who can shoot well enough and, and play defense. You know, as like a hybrid. But you know, having Trey Young and and I, I honestly believe Neil Aquino could be a, a good to great defender. So, listen, I think Trey Young would fit perfectly with the Knicks. You know, the Fisdale system too helps him out. You know, fast pace, run and gun, kind of um you know t- uh, caters to his strengths as well. But, yeah, I mean, I could definitely see him fitting in extremely well with, with Neil Akeen at the two-guard and Trey Young at the one. And I, just in general, I think people have a concern about Young's ceiling and floor, and specifically that he could be a bust. I find it hard to believe that he could be a huge bust just because I think his shooting and passing are going to translate, and it would be really, it's hard for me to imagine them not translating, especially the shooting. I think he has a huge, huge untapped potential as a catch-and-shoot spot-up shooter, which he never did at Oklahoma because they didn't have any sort of other lead ball handlers that could take any pressure off him and put him in that role. And if the Knicks ever start to put him, let's say he goes to the Knicks and they start to put him in those scenarios, there's a huge area for him to get easier threes, get cleaner looks, just get put in better positions to score. Seth, that's something that we saw very rarely of him last year, right, as a catch-and-shoot kind of guy just because they had no one else. Yeah, yeah, the the backup point guard at probably average like only like five points up on Jordan Shepard, who has since transferred. But um yeah, I mean he was just the guy every time OU had the ball. I, I, I could see him developing into a really great kind of shoot guy. But um at the same time I also I I, I really want to see that potential you know, his potential to see what it's what it turns out to be as far as him like kind of having the keys to the car. Um and then I mean, he'll, he'll obviously get that chance. You know, that's what the – if there's one good thing about um, the Oklahoma team and him that ran pretty well was the pick and roll. Um, a lot of times he really executed that pretty well um, with the guys like Kadeem Latin and uh, Brady Manick. But, yeah, I, th- I think with, you know, like some athletic bigs, he could really flourish in that kind of role as well as um, if he's not necessarily going to be uh, getting to the rim as much. So, Seth, you can be honest with us because we're realistic. Uh, would you be upset if he went to the Knicks? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I read that uh, his, dad, his dad actually wants him to go to the Knicks. Um, uh, I don't know if his dad has said that he wanted him to go anywhere else, but I did read that. Um, but, I, I mean, I think it would almost be fitting in a way just because of the media frenzy that he had here and, it, you know, you know, going to the Big Apple, That's you know, it doesn't get any bigger than that. Uh so just that kind of spotlight, but I don't know. At the same time, I don't know if it'd be good for him. Yeah, but it's <laughs> a concern I have too. All right, so Seth, Nick, thanks a bunch for joining. Seth, we can find you over at Crimson and Cream Machine, right? Right, right. Yeah, Crimson and Cream Machine. You guys got um, anything going on over the summer? Um, uh, tomorrow we start our countdown. Uh, the hundred days until kickoff. 
Um, so that's, that's going to be a big time, but, uh, probably just some like recruiting football stuff. Uh, Oh, also right now we've got the softball, uh, the college world series is coming up. Hopefully you know, the super regionals this weekend, but we got our eye on a three P. So, Hey, good luck. Yeah. yeah good luck. Nick, you got anything coming up for us? Uh, I got a piece on uh, Robert Williams coming out in a couple weeks, the uh, big man from Texas A&M. Um, so yeah, be sure to check that out. Early awesome. June, I'll be that'll be going up on the site alright so awesome. for Kyle Seth and Nick I'm Matt guys thanks for joining we'll talk to you later thanks guys thanks a lot guys, guys.